Take your Bibles, please, and turn again to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John, chapter 15. Some weeks ago, I met with one of our men for lunch, and he asked me an interesting question. He said, if you could have a blank check for Calvary Baptist Church, what would you write on it? I thought really hard about that question because you only get one chance to write a blank check. And if you're going to write a blank check, you need to write it so that it means a lot and encompasses a lot and does what you hope it's going to do. Now, I've shared my answer with some of you, but before I share my answer here, I want you to think to yourself, if you were given a blank check for Calvary Baptist Church, what would you write on it? Would you write that we would be more loving? That's a good thing. Would you write that we would be more worshipful? That's a good thing. Would you write that our outreach would be more effective and that we would have a greater impact for the kingdom of God? It's not bad. Would you write that our families would grow together and share together and build one another up? And that our children and students would be challenged and changed and conformed to the character of Christ. That's a good thing. Your answer may be a little different than mine. But as I thought about the opportunity that I could have to write a blank check, what I would write on that check was that we would all be Christ-like disciples. Because you see, if we're Christ-like disciples, then we're going to love one another. Then we're going to worship properly. Then our lives are going to impact the world around us. Then we are going to bring our children up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. Then our families are going to be strengthened. Then we're going to be the kind of people that make a difference for the honor and glory of our God. Christ-like disciples. And the reason we do that is for and by the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because it's not about us. It's about who God Now, we have a mission statement, a mission statement that says that we want to be a growing church that multiplies Christ-like disciples who are passionate, obedient, dependent, connected, authentic, and relevant, right? So that we can multiply Christ-like disciples. And we say that's what we're all about. But I wonder, how are we doing? When we think about Christ-like disciples, we want to define what is a Christ-like disciple. That's a good thing to know and understand, isn't it? But before we get to Christ-like disciples, we need to define what is a disciple. And we need to understand what, it, what the Word of God tells us is necessary in our lives if we're going to be disciples, and then we will recognize what the Word of God says if we are going to be Christ-like 
disciples. I'm sure that you've already noticed that we're going to take a little break from the minor prophets. Because I really believe that this needs to be a focus of our lives because it's foundational to our lives and to the ministry here at Calvary. Here in John chapter 15, Jesus helps us understand something about what it means to be a disciple. In fact, if you will look down at verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Underline that in your Bibles, will you please? Prove, give evidence of the fact that you are my disciples. Now, anytime that you look at a passage of Scripture, there are several things that you need to understand. You need to understand to whom it is written, the congregation. And Jesus is writing this to his followers. He's in the upper room. This is the last message that he's going to give to them before he goes to the cross. An important message. And he has gathered them together to celebrate the Passover, to recognize God's provision in their lives and to look toward the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ himself, as he is offered as the perfect sacrifice for sins. In the midst of all of this, we find something about the context. You're all familiar with John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, if it were not so, I go to prepare. He's telling them this because he's going away. He's going to prepare a place for them. And that's exactly what he's doing today, right? For us. He's gone away and he is preparing a place for us. But while he is doing that, he sent his Holy Spirit and given to us his word to perfect his purpose in our lives. And that is to prove that we are his disciples. We also need to understand something about the central theme. And the central theme is Jesus Christ giving to us our responsibility. And our responsibility is to produce fruit. Let me say that again. Our responsibility is to produce fruit. Something ought to take place in our lives to prove that we are alive. Did you get that? Something ought to be taking place in our lives to prove that we are alive. And that is fruit from our lives. So all of this Jesus is pulling together before he goes to the garden, prays that the couple be passed from him, is arrested and taken to the cross. And he's pulling it together. To help us understand what a disciple really is. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. To begin with, disciples are connected. And that is God's design that we recognize we are to be connected. Verse 1 here says, 
I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. There is a connectedness that takes place between us and the father and the son. And it pulls it all together because we are one in him. We are one together in him. And this has been the design all along. This is the way God wants it to be. That we are connected to each other. We cannot live our lives in isolation. Because if we do, we're going to die. Have you been watching the reports from the Hurricane Florence? Did you see the downed trees? In many ways, that's a sad situation. Because those trees will never be like they were. Many of them uprooted, many of the branches broken off, many of them disconnected. And you and I are no different. If we become disconnected, we wither up and die. Now there are a couple of words that Jesus uses to help us understand something about that connectedness. The first word is abide. I'm not going to take time, but I want you to go through this passage, and I want you to circle every time Jesus uses the word abide or abides. You should end up with at least 10 of them. And you would think that when Jesus uses a word multiple times, it means something, right? When Jesus uses a word one time, it means something. But if he uses it multiple times, he's really trying to get us to understand the message. Now, the word abide is an interesting word. It means to be at home with. It has the idea to live in and dwell. And this is not just so that we can kick up our feet and take off our shoes and be comfortable. It's so that we can be connected. You ever heard the phrase, home is where the heart is? The vine is where the heart is. The connectedness that God has given to us is where the heart is. And if we are to be at home, if we are to live in, if we are to recognize that this is where we dwell, it connects us to each other. And I want you to know who it connects us to. It connects us to Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's not about us. The second word that I think he uses to help us understand this connectedness is that of disciple. We've looked at that. I had you underline that in your Bible. A disciple is a learner. But not only is a disciple a learner, a learn, he is also an imitator. He's a pupil, one who adheres to the teaching of the master, one who is connected to the mentor or master. Discipleship is more than just academics. Discipleship is, is more than just a head knowledge. It is a lifestyle. Discipleship is, is more than just knowing what you're supposed to do and being able to spout out the Bible verses that tell you to do it. Discipleship is the connectedness that we have with God because we are intimate with him. And we are imitating who he is. Remember what John says in 1 John chapter 2? 
He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. That's discipleship. That's connectedness. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in your life and in my life, we who are called Christians, and they were first called Christians in Antioch, remember that? We who are called ones of Christ should have such a connectedness to the Father that when they see us, they see the Father. Now, Jesus gave two illustrations of that. He did it in the Sermon on the Mount, and he used two very ordinary things, light and salt, right? And he said, you are the light of the world. And then he says, a city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. Neither can a candle that's placed to light up the house be of use if it's underneath a basket. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and know you're connected and glorify my Father which is in heaven. The other very simple thing that he used was salt, right? You are the salt of the earth. And he says salt that's lost its connectedness, savor, isn't good for much. If we are going to understand what discipleship is all about, if we are going to be a disciple of Christ, we must recognize that it begins with being connected. He is the vine. We are the branches. We abide in him. And we imitate who he is. There's something else about disciples. As disciples, we should recognize that we're going to get inspected. You see what verse 2 says? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Jump down to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, whatever you wish, it will be done to you. Should have said verse 6, I'm sorry. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. You see the inspection that takes place? It's true. Someone once said anything that is expected should be inspected. I love Ronald Reagan. He had a philosophy, trust, but verify. And in your life and in my life, we are expected to be disciples. We are expected to bear fruit, but we are going to be inspected with our lives. Every once in a while, we will find a recall of a food product. Many times it's a meat product that 
has gone bad and produces salmonella or something. I am so thankful that we have inspectors that try to protect us. Aren't you? I am so thankful that God inspects my life because it's all for my protection. Because one day, I will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And you know what? That day may be today. If we believe in the imminent return of Christ, it could be today. You ready? You ready for the inspector to come through in your life? Am I ready for the inspector to come through in my life? You see, the inspection process is all about this connectedness. And in the inspection process, there are two goals. One, that we glorify God. Whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. You ever try to define the word all? Somebody said all means all, that's all. Do all to the glory of God. And the second is that we bring forth fruit. Proof of our discipleship is that there is fruit flowing from our lives. And it's all part of God's inspection process. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. Every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. Good trees cannot bear bad fruit, nor can bad trees bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now you say, well, what's fruit? Romans says that there's a fruit among the Gentiles. And that is our witness. Romans also tells us that there is the fruit of holiness from our lives. And we would be remiss if we didn't just mention the fruit of the Spirit. How you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing as imitators, disciples of Christ? Not only is your inspection process, but the scripture also tells us that we have been set apart by the word. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken. Have you thought about the impact that the word of God has on your life? You know, we're saved by the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are sanctified by the word. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And Ephesians talks about the washing of the water, the, the word, how it cleanses us. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus here says that we have been made clean because of the word. When I was younger, I used to have inscribed in the flyleaf of my Bible these words. This book will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. You see, we have been set apart by the word. And in our lives, 
you and I need to understand that we are to be lovers of others and livers of the word. Now that's a little play on words with the liver thing, right? What does your liver do? Takes out the toxic stuff in your life. Mm-hmm, right? And you and I need to be livers of the word. And that is what cleanses us. As we recognize God working in our hearts and in our lives. Acts chapter 17 talks about a group of folks called the Bereans. And it was the Bereans who examined daily the word of God. Set apart by the word. But it's important for us to know that Christ alone will bring forth fruit. Christ alone will bring forth fruit. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in If your Christian life is a bit anemic, perhaps it's because you're not living in the vine. If you're struggling with your Christian life, perhaps it's because you are not developing the connectedness that you need to the vine. Now, aren't you thankful that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Isn't that neat? Paul said, I, I, I've learned how to bound. I've learned how to suffer loss. I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And a boy from Ohio living in Michigan has had to learn that. Some of you wear your maize and blue just to irritate me. That's okay. But I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? But what he says here is that we can do absolutely nothing without Christ. Remember that chorus we used to sing? He is all I need. All I need. Jesus is all I need. He was crucified for me. He died. Jesus is all I need. And after being clean from the word, we need to recognize that without him we can do nothing. And the chief responsibility of the vine is to bring forth fruit. And without him, we can do 
nothing. But I'm so thankful that a disciple has an opportunity for intercession. God has given to us the privilege. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done unto you. Jesus said in John chapter 14, part of this great passage, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it you, if you love me and obey what I command. Now, remember the connectedness here. Remember the vine and the branches. Because we must understand that intercession prayer is not a manipulation of God. But what it is, is a manifestation of God in our lives. If we are connected to God, we will know exactly what God wants and we will pray according to His will. And anything that we ask according to His will, He hears us. And whatever we ask, He gives to us the desires that we have in our hearts. Amen? And it's important for us as disciples, connected ones, to recognize that even our prayers need to be such that they're so connected to the Father that they're a manifestation that He and we are together and we are imitating what He wants us to do in our lives. I'm thankful for prayer, aren't you? I don't know what I'd do without prayer. Aren't you thankful that you can pray to God in any place, at any time, for anything? There have been a number of folks that I've had opportunity just to pray with this morning. Prayed with Hiram and Mally this morning. And I'm sorry if we blocked the hallway from any of you folks. Get over it. <laughs> Prayed with one of our folks this morning who's struggling with kids. Any place, anytime, anything. James tells us we have not because we ask not. And sometimes we have not because we ask not. And we're asking selfishly. But if we're connected to the vine and his words are abiding in us and we're clean from the washing of the water by the word, we can ask anything. Jesus said if you had the faith of a seed of mustard, you could say to this mountain, be cast in the sea and it'd be removed. I want that kind of faith. But I want to be connected enough to know what kind of mountains God wants to move. 
I don't want it moved just because it's my inconvenience. I want it moved because it's his will. And it's all about pleasing God. It's all about pleasing God. Because it is about glorifying God. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, what? Do all to the glory of God. Thank you, Dennis, this morning for helping us in our worship. Why did we do that? We did it because you can't have a message without the songs. We did it because it's what we always do here at Calvary. No, we did it to glorify God. And I am so thankful that we have the freedom to glorify God in our lives, right? We have to recognize he's a holy God. But here we are to worship him. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. And we glorify God. That's why we've been created. It's not for our pleasure, it's for his. And as disciples, our whole focus has to be to glorify God. God. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 glorifies God. As he came into the city for that last time, he said, this is all about God getting glory. Everything in his life was focused on bringing attention to the Father. And what is it that glorifies God? Fruit. By this, verse 8 again, my Father is glorified that ye bear much fruit. Nine times in this passage, Jesus talks about fruit. Verse 2, branches that don't bear fruit, branches that do bear fruit are pruned. Verse 4, branch can't bear fruit by itself. Verse 5, he it is that bears much fruit. Verse 8, much fruit. Verse 16, bear fruit and that your fruit should remain or abide. You get an idea? That we're supposed to bear fruit. But being a disciple is also about loving God and keeping his commandments. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And I think it interesting that Jesus said, just as I kept my Father's commandments, he isn't asking us to do anything that he did not do. Do 
It was his example and purpose to accomplish the work that God had given him to, to do. And on the cross, he announced, it is finished. And how could he do that? Because he did everything the Father asked him to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. In 1 John chapter 1, John writes, These things have I written unto you, that your joy may be full. And just as Jesus has kept the commandments, you and I need to do that. And that is what makes the Father happy. You see, disciples are designed to have enjoyment. And that enjoyment is a fulfillment of what God is doing in our life. I want you to do something for me right now. This may be a little out of character for some of you. But I want you to smile. Is that the best you can do, Dave? You know, if you walk around smiling, people wonder what's wrong with you. But if you walk around smiling, you, you recognize that you have something that brings joy to your life. Now, not everything in our lives brings us joy, right? But he does. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is external. Our circumstances change. There are some things that just don't make us happy, but joy is internal. The psalmist says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it is this enjoyment, again, 1 John, that your joy may be full. 3 John, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. Amen? That's the joy. Can you imagine the joy that God feels when he sees his children acting like disciples? That's what he wants from us. Enjoyment as fruit bearers. That's a disciple. But there's one more truth that I think is important as disciples. And that's this. We're not servants. We're friends. Jesus says, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you, friends. Connie and I were not here last week, but we missed you, folks, because you're our friends. Friends have that relationship where they can be themselves with each other. And Jesus doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. 
1 John says that friendship with the world is, is being an enemy with God. And Jesus said, you're my friends if, if you do what I command you. Our mission is to multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God, obedient to his word, dependent upon him in prayer, connected to one another, and authentic and relevant so that we can multiply Christ-like disciples. It's important to know what a disciple is, right? It's a disciple. That's what Jesus said, connectedness. You want to be a disciple? There it is. How are we doing? And I'm thankful it all starts with worship and connectedness to our